This has absolutely nothing to do with politics. It isn't about politics, partisanship, Democrats and Republicans. That's totally insignificant. It's about the Constitution of the United States, the oath of office we take to protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. It's about the president not honoring his oath of office. Every different leader has teams who every now and then uh, have uh, their jaws drop at uh, unscheduled surprises. That was funny when I said the guy's two-faced. It does not matter that President Trump got caught and ultimately released the funds that Ukraine so desperately needed. It matters that he enlisted a foreign government to intervene in our elections in the first place. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Because today's the day Nancy Pelosi has announced with great clarity and commitment that impeachment will go forward, I want to jump right into today's show with supernova Jason Johnson. He's the political editor of The Root and a contributor to MSNBC. He's got a PhD in political science from Carolina, like me, and Jamel Bowie, formerly of this show. Jason graduated from UVA. He also teaches political science and, in general, has done everything and knows everything. I'll be back with Jason in just a minute, but first... Hi, I'm Bob Stemming. And I'm Melinda Stemming. And we have the honor of being the most interviewed Trump supporters in America. That's right. If there is a media outlet, we have been profiled by them. Washington Post, New York Times, Politico, you name it. We spend most of our time in diners across the Rust Belt. Yeah, we spend 18 hours a day in various diners. We try to pinpoint where the media is going next. For instance, right now, Iowa is big. So we are spending a lot of time in Iowa diners Mm -hmm. being stumbled upon, if you will. And we try to give sort of a je ne sais quoi, like, oh, us? I can't can't believe. (laughs) We would love to be interviewed because... They love that. The media is like, oh, this is great. This is going to be a fresh take. The truth of the matter is we give the best sound bites. We do. Hillary is sick. I remember when I said that. She's undependable. Melinda, you were so great. What was that quote? Obama never asked us what we thought. That's right. And that is the truth. We went eight years with nobody tapping me on the shoulder while I ate pie. Nobody was asking me what I thought about gun control. And now (laughs) I can't even get through a slice of coconut cream. Whenever they ask what we like about Trump, well, it's either one of the three pillars, his Christianity, he's a straight shooter, or our favorite, he's a Washington outsider. outsider. That's right. <laughs> he's going to drain the swamp, even though he is the swamp because he knows about swamps. There's a lot of doublespeak that happens, but if you just keep talking, they just write it all down. And we collect all the papers. Don't read them. No. But we look for our names. Yeah, we do a quick search. And right now, these quotes are getting buried deeper and deeper because of the... um. What's that thing that's happening uh, right now? A p- imp- uh, impeachment. impeachment. Yeah. yeah. So now we're getting, like, it's page seven or eight. We it used to be to... front page, yeah. yeah. Anyway, if you want to reach us, you can just tweet at me. My handle is Pizzagate2020. And mine is Hillary died in 2013 and was always Bill. Jason, welcome to Trumpcast. I am so excited to be here. Wahoo wah. <laughs> Wahoo wah. <laughs> it is wonderful that you are a fellow UVA alum. So, when in the course of human events... It becomes necessary to dissolve the artifice that we've all had around impeachment and finally just dig in and load for bear on the real impeachment process that is now underway, thanks to Nancy Pelosi's announcement in which she cited the Declaration of Independence. That's why I did. Yes. What did you think about her speech today? I thought it was good. I thought it was powerful. Nancy Pelosi is always good, powerful, blah, 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 blah. 
the bigger issue for me throughout this entire process has always been keeping ourselves focused. And I think she did to a certain extent. Keeping ourselves focused on the idea that this is political, but it's not campaign political. Mm-hmm. It's political from the standpoint that he doesn't have to have broken any laws, but it's not campaign political where we really don't want to sit back and forth and have these discussions about whether or not it's moving the numbers. The great criticism that I had of Nancy Pelosi for a long time, which, you know, she's cleaned up by now, and certainly with the speech this morning, the great criticism I always had of Nancy Pelosi for a long time is she was under this sort of naive impression that well, we'll just work this out with the election next year. Yep. And we don't need impeachment because that's what the election's for. No, impeachment is part of your job. It is part of holding our presidency accountable. And literally, if part of what you're trying to impeach this man for is the fact that he cheats in elections, you have an absolutely backwards way of looking at this. Mm-hmm. So I think the speech today and, and what she sort of brought to the, to the table is a long and an all too slow process of her realizing why this is all necessary. So I don't want to hammer this too hard, but I really do love that she chose the declaration in 1776 rather than 1789, which we heard about yesterday with the long discussions of the Constitution, kind of cool-headed ideas of what do we do to preserve this union. And then Mm -hmm. today she used those fighting words of the declaration where you are essentially asking for divorce. You're dissolving a relationship. You're not forming it. And I think... Because it has been so important to her, and like you, by the way, I doubted her. I did not like that she was constantly windsocking on who might lose their election. And, you know, at some point I thought, you know, even if there's this crazy phenomenon that we've seen nothing of, but people used to propose that that impeachment would be good for Trump, that everyone would Mm -hmm. love him all the more because he was now— even more persecuted than ever. We didn't see any of that. But when she was seeming to make those calculations and seeming cowardly to me, she kept saying, I am building this ironclad. We're we're not going to do this till it's ironclad. We're not going to do this till it's ironclad. Do you think it's possible that she has known all along that she was going to move in for the kill? But like the colonies, she needed to get that momentum to make this dissolution of a relationship seem inevitable. You know, you get to say when in the course of human events, it's this is natural. This is the law. I think it says even the law of nature and and, and nature's God that we break away from you now, England. And, you know, essentially file what are, you know, articles of impeachment against King George had lots of references to that grandiose stuff recently. And that I think she reproduced at least rhetorically that kind of move of it pains me to do this. My heart is heavy. We Democrats, too, are prayerful. And yet this must be done. I don't think so. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. I don't believe for one second that this was this was not some long game. This was not some brilliant heist movie where all uh. along, you know, she and <laughs> she and the Ocean's Twelve of the Democratic leadership <laughs> were like, we're gonna we're gonna pull the switch at the last minute because we always do this. Is what we're gonna do? No. I really believe that Nancy Pelosi thought that. We could delay impeachment, delay impeachment, delay impeachment, really not do it. Um, and then after 2018, she was like, oh, yeah, we really don't have to do impeachment because now we control the House. We can keep some of the more insane behavior of this president in check. We can control some of the purse springs. And I think around the time the Mueller report came out, mm. well, that's around the time she started to change. Because I think that it wasn't just a matter of, oh, wow, okay, the instruction of justice. Most of these things she kind of knew already. But I think it was her realization 
that the rest of the country and that the Democratic base cared about impeachment. And this is something I say all the time, you know, in this sort of punditocracy world uh, that we live in. You know, and I, I'm, I'm a recent transplant to the D.C. Metro Acela Corridor universe. I was living in Ohio. I was living in Georgia. You know, I've lived in these places a long time. And I'm always amused by... That sounds like the real America you're talking about, Jason, not the fake I mean, America. Isn't that shocking? Yeah. <laughs> isn't that shocking? You know, I was living in Cleveland. I was teaching, you know, a small liberal arts college outside of Cleveland. I was living in Atlanta. That might have um, counted and, for even for David Brooks. So I, you know... Right, exactly. I spent a lot of time in diners. A yes, lot of time in sure. diners. Um, and and was always striking to me is whenever I hear people say, and in the months you know prior to when the impeachment process started, and you hear a reporter, you hear an analyst say, you know what, when I'm outside of Washington, D.C., no one ever mentions impeachment to me. Whenever I heard that, I was like, oh, you're clearly not talking to black people. Um, because every yeah. black person mm-hmm. that I know, everywhere I go, if they remotely recognize me from writing at The Root or television or Sirius XM or anything else like that, that is the first darn thing out of their mouths. So there was always a push for impeachment from the base. Nancy Pelosi was basically throwing water on it the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I think once the Mueller report came out, even though the vast majority of Americans outside of the Lisa Simpson-esque behavior of Elizabeth Warren, I read it, I read it, (laughs) but outside of Warren... I um, always talk about Smithers, but now we have yeah. Lisa in the picture, too. <laughs> right, exactly. Done, you know, just hands up, just done. Yep. Like, she read it for everybody. Um, but, you know, once the Mueller report came out, she couldn't ignore how much the base was screaming for it. She couldn't ignore how much even members of the pundit class and the, the Mehdi Hassans and, and really, really bright, engaged people were like, look, you can't just calculate this in terms of the election. It's your job. You mm-hmm. can't say that the president has committed all of these crimes or committed all of these violations of uh, you know, presidential norms and then not do it. So, so I don't buy when she was saying today that this, I don't buy the idea that this was a long-term plan. I do think this is something that pains her in a way because I don't think she ever thought she was going to have to do this. And mm-hmm. not because Nancy Pelosi has any sort of affection or love for Donald Trump. She loathes this man mm-hmm. in a very clear and, and unmitigated way. Yeah. But I think that she wanted to operate under the same fantasies of normalcy and decorum that I think hamstrung the Obama administration. But history, Trump's behavior, and her own base have forced her to make some changes. That does add up. And you're right that she, I don't know what her relationship is, frankly, with the more ardent, imaginative, radical voices who, as we were continually reminded in yesterday's hearing, who filed articles of impeachment very early in the game. I was trying to remember, you know, we don't talk about it very much, but there were articles of impeachment filed in 2017. Brad Sherman yep. in California filed. And and then weren't there some others, including black members of Congress? Do I have this wrong? Yeah. Al Green filed oh, that's some, right. uh, you know, Kucinich filed some, I think Kucinich filed over over 80 articles of impeachment in 04 um, mm-hmm. during the election, and they ended up just uh, sort of dying the Judiciary Committee. So, I mean, like, you know, there have been lots of people who have talked about how Donald Trump should be impeached for a long time, yeah. for a very, very long time. Yeah. And again, there's something to be said for Pelosi being somebody who could learn. There's something to be said for Pelosi being somebody who will eventually listen to what the base says. But at the end of the day, you know, what was always so galling about this whole thing is that she behaved as if you can play the same game with a president who has thrown out all the rules. 
Yeah. And there are some people who never like having to use all the different rules at their disposal because to them, that's, that's a loss. You know, this is a, you know, even though she's a woman, it's like, well, this is a gentleman's game and this is how we do things. And we blue slip judges and we have conversations and we, we get coffee and, 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 you know, we play golf and that's how we make these distinctions and having to use all of the weapons at your disposal, all the legislative mm-hmm. nooks and crannies that you have to dig through to actually do your job, I think there's a real ambivalence on a lot of leadership about having to do that. Now, the Republicans haven't felt that way for 20 years. The yeah. Republicans have decided after Bill Clinton that Democrats are not a legitimate party. So yeah. anything that yeah. you do is fine. But I, I think Pelosi has always been loath to try and engage in that kind of scorched earth politics. Now, since we're dealing in um, in ethnic archetypes, I'm going to call them, I still see Pelosi as the daughter of her. Her mother was born in one of those medieval towns in Italy that's known for one thing. And what it's known for is the making of knives. And, you right. know, the, it's it's I see a little sorry, you you maybe have to cut this, but Cosa Nostra and her. I just see that she she seems the, the sort of Bella Figura way that she's, the, remember the, you know, the condescending clap for Trump, the striking of poses, then the um, evocation always of kind of her faith. You know, she's she's one of the only figures, Pence is so quiet on this, who really styles herself as a, as a Christian, presumably a Catholic. She's the first right. Italian-American Speaker of the House. There's even talk that Giuliani is horrified that she is the ranking Italian-American politician in America. She's been in the House for so long and that she has her own, you know, it's not Al Green. It doesn't have civil rights behind it, but it has a kind of, there's a kind of elegance to her moves that I think a lot of women especially admire. You know, the coat and certain poses. I don't know. Maybe I do want to hold on to this idea that she's going to shiv or that she has a stiletto or you know, all um, all those kind of hopes we have for her. But if not Nothing else. We got to project some of that on her today, I think. Oh, yeah. Look, look, in, in African-American Twitter vernacular, it's like Nancy Ben Pelosi, right? Like she's been <laughs> Pelosi for a long time. So, so, so we wanted, I mean, remember, she was, you know, she was, she was Pelosi, queen of dragons until she, you know, all the way up until the 2018 election. Yeah. I mean, everybody thought she was the hero. She was the one staring down Trump. Look, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember Nancy Pelosi basically having daggers in her eyes uh, when uh, what was the, the Congressman Joe from South Carolina jumped up and said, Obama, you lie. Oh, yeah. And, and I remember Obama turning to look at him. And, and I mean, Pelosi literally looked like they had to hold her back. Like she was on the basketball court you know, somewhere, yeah. somewhere in Brooklyn and was about to, just about to take somebody out. So, yeah. I, again, yeah. I think that's what a lot of the frustration was, that this yeah. person who clearly was is, is very politically savvy, who who put down a mini revolt uh, when when the Democrats retook the House, mm-hmm. who seemed hesitant to, you know, why, why are you bringing a butter knife to a, to a gunfight? Mm-hmm. But again, you know, her speech today sort of speaks to the fact that there's very few people with the level of power that Pelosi has mm-hmm. who are willing to change their mind. Yeah. And That's right. so when she's like, hey, okay, he's corrupt and blah, blah, blah. He's used to election for a bit. You know, again, I think she's sad that we have to go through the process. I don't think she's sad that we're getting rid of the president. And I think she's realizing that sometimes, even in a resistant state democracy, that you got to let the young, loud voices lead. Yep. And, and that's a sign of good leadership.
Speaking of when you go places, when people say nobody ever talks about impeachment in real America in the diners, and you say, well, have you talked to any black people? I mean, <laughs> you know, when we're trying to take the temperature of how radical this country is feeling, it's possible that Medicare for all or a, a you know wealth tax is not the repository of our radicalism, that instead it's the fact that a very diverse coalition of people spread across the country have been doing something that I've never imagined America would do, which is shout, well, boo the president and shout, lock him up or say they want to depose this king. And mm-hmm. that's as radical as it gets. That's the, the seems like the definition of radical to the root. And, you know, I just keep saying it's when we're trying to figure out what this election is about. It's the handcuff, stupid. It's the it's the people who most understand how much he needs to be removed. And I'd like right. to see that removal, of course, happen in the Senate. I'd like to see the pressure come from places like Kentucky, where they've been shouting, lock him up in Lexington, like Minnesota, to get these senators to really put pressure on them to realize that the mood of the nation is, I mean, we're as in flames as we've ever been. When more than half, 50%, according to some polls, want the president removed, right? it's a weird country. It's a weird country, but it's also one of... <sighs> It also makes sense, right? I mean, the guy lost by 3 million votes. That's a lot of people. That's a a lot. You know, I remember, look, every single year, every single year when somebody loses, I remember seeing Bush's brain, Karl Rove. Oh, yeah. I remember Karl Rove, you know, crying in his his cornflakes in 2012 saying, well, we only lost by 77,000 votes across three states. No, you lost. You lose, you lose. There's no second place, right? right? In the case of Donald Trump, you have a guy that was never popular. Yeah. I mean, he, he lost yes. by three million. So it's also been always been strange to me when you look at things like impeachment and you look at things uh, about some of the caution I think some of the Democratic leadership had. It's like, yo, the majority of the country didn't want this guy. It wasn't even mm-hmm. close. Like you, you could make mm-hmm. an argument. I mean, we know George Bush cheated, but you could make an argument that like, hey, man, it was a coin flip, right? Like five different people could have shown up, et cetera, et cetera, and, and tipped the scale one way yeah. or another. But people do not like Donald Trump. They have not wanted Donald Trump to be in office. You are yeah. not operating against the public will. Yeah, I think that's that Donald right. Trump should be removed from office. Right. Yeah, right. No one disagrees with you. And what's weird is that when we're taking the temperature of the country and you say the American people, this, that, I see that, you know, you've got a very good pinned tweet up saying Republicans are never or Trump supporters are never going to change their minds. Just let's yep. not even think about that. But still witness all the visits to diners. The chattering classes have taken taken these wasted these three years taking the temperature of a nation that doesn't exist in some substantial way and telling us back, you know, all the time that, you know, Trump represents the will of the people. He certainly doesn't represent their popular will. But okay, he hacked these counties. And I keep feeling like they say, well, Tanya Harding, just a great skater. And Nancy Kerrigan must have had a lot of, you know, she just could not pull off those triple axles. Trump did not win because he was the better candidate and everybody loved him. He won because he hacked some counties with the help of a foreign power. Full stop. He cheated. Right. Well, and, and so this is this is my slight disagreement on that. OK, here's how Trump got in office. I, I, I fight with, with with colleagues and friends about this, you know, publicly and privately all the time. The greatest the greatest reason why Donald Trump won is not Russia. Um, I would put Russia as maybe third, fourth, maybe even fifth, it was Republican voter suppression um, after the gutting of the Civil Rights Act. 
I mean, that's what mm-hmm. it was. Right. It was all these different states being able to engage in ridiculous levels of chicanery um, to keep people from voting. It's 175,000 people being knocked out in one county in North Carolina. It's, yeah. it's you know, 50,000 here, 50,000 there in Wisconsin. As Scott Walker runs around playing basically electoral Iago for the Republican Party <laughs> and snickering and sneering as he snatches people's votes and ability to express themselves away. That's what it was. Um, if you didn't have that kind of behavior happening with Republican governors in Wisconsin, Republican governors in Michigan, Republican governors in North Carolina, then the Democrats probably win. Hillary Clinton probably wins, which has a fundamental impact on not just, yes, blah, 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 Hillary Clinton wins and we don't have a Muslim ban, but I also think it changes so many of the dynamics about you know what we've seen in 2020 and, and what people's political futures are. And, and I've always felt like our public discourse needs to understand that the greatest enemies to democracy are right here at home. The greatest enemy to mm-hmm. democracy is not Vladimir Putin. It's not, you know, uh, Julian Assange. It's it's not uh, whatever it is that they found in WikiLeaks. It is Weasley governors and secretaries of state like Brian Kemp. It's Weasley mm-hmm. governors and mm-hmm. administrative officials in Ohio who are snatching people's votes and moving voting places and making sure that, you know, there's not enough batteries to keep voting machines open in places where people have to be. That is our greatest danger. And so looking forward, as much as we have every reason to believe that Donald Trump will cheat as much as possible, he will, I mean, he has actively said, hey, come here and hack our machines. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is, if we actually had elected officials or if we held our elected officials at a state level accountable for what they had to do, it wouldn't matter what kind of foreign influence there was. And that's the problem. The foreign influence only matters because you've got a whole bunch of state legislators who are already leaving the door open. I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, and obviously there's some connection to the exploitation of American racism and Mm -hmm. policies of voter suppression. The exploitation of that as a national security chink in our armor by Russians has gone back a long way and encouraging getting people really whipped up in these kind of frenzies of anxiety about deporting uh, Mexicans and Muslims. By the way, do Republicans even talk about that anymore? I don't, I just, no, no, right? is it just me, or did we all forget about the caravan? Did the caravan just disappear? Like, I don't remember. Also, are we still are we still in a a national emergency and b a constitutional crisis? Because those things yeah. seem. I think he can do whatever he wants, is what we learned, and cite anything. The women in duct tape are they just there somehow? Everything, the everything that he yeah, everything that he comes up with, everything he's going to make up with, and this is also I think this is always very funny about this when people are concerned. They're like, oh, you know, it, it, when we we're talking before about oh, is Trump going to use impeachment to his advantage? Yeah. Look, I was in Trump country, right? I was in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, I, I taught college, and I, and I used to, I remember there was a, a piece I was working with, with with the Times and this and everything else like that. The myths surrounding Trump's success and the myths surrounding his presidency are part of why, again, our impeachment is sort of muddled and fuddled the way that it is. You know, one, Donald Trump was not elected by a bunch of angry townies, okay? He wasn't. That's a cute belief that someone can have if you want to parachute into Indiana or Missouri, but that's not what it was. I had a lot of college students who were supporting Donald Trump. I had a lot of white, middle-class college kids who supported Donald Trump because they liked the idea that he wasn't a politician. They believed naively that anybody can run the government and that it doesn't take a particular set of skills. And they've grown up, and these are Gen Xers, well, millennials at this particular point and younger, and Gen Z's, but they also operate under a very different kind of racialized dynamic than adults. And I think the youth support for Trump 
was always something that was kind of ignored in favor of blue collar Bob, Mm -hmm. because that is something that fit the narrative more of, you know, a Washington bureau chief. Mm -hmm. What I saw was a 19 year old or a 20 year old who grew up. And if you ask, now look, I'm a Gen Xer, right? If you ask me, hey, name a rich guy, and you're from Gen X, you might say somebody like Donald Trump. But Mm -hmm. if you ask a 20 year old white kid in Ohio, name somebody rich, they say Diddy. They say Jay-Z. The biggest movie star in their life has been Will Smith. Mm -hmm. They operate in a world where their working class status is sort of shamed by this large number of successful, beautiful black people who they have grown up having to admire and to a certain extent base themselves or measure themselves against. And so Mm -hmm. Donald Trump was a giant wonderful, beautiful temper tantrum against all these black and brown people that have made them feel bad about the fact that they hadn't achieved the American dream as 20-year-old white kids. Mm, and I, and I yeah. think that was overlooked. I think there was an assumption that you know young people were going to repudiate and reject his bigotry. And I'm like, no, that's not the young people that I knew. Um, now, wow, I don't think that's yeah. going to work in 2020, but it worked in 2016. And then there's the other faction of bankers and lawyers for Trump that we just never see profiles of. Those are the ones that I've encountered in Houston. People I knew who, if we talked about politics at all, I mean, I, can, I actually can't remember. No talking <laughs> about the Iran deal. I can't, I can't remember in, in Obama times. And all of a sudden, just... I couldn't believe it. They had MAGA stuff. And it turns out that, you know, they knew which side their bread was buttered on. And I mean, anyway, I think you're absolutely right. We misrepresent that faction. But I want to talk about possibly those bankers and lawyers for Trump and figures you may have encountered in purple states. I'm thinking in particular of someone like Abigail Spanberger in Virginia. Susan Dominus did a great piece on her in the Times Magazine. She's a congresswoman from Virginia, and she has been very anxious about this impeachment process because she doesn't want to spook her constituency. Personally, ask her alone over a drink if she's for impeachment, and it seems like she absolutely is. But she has had to find in Pelosi a kind of model of how to walk this particular kind of ambivalent white voter who's Mm -hmm. beginning to change parties, you know, beginning to think they'll vote for Bloomberg or maybe they have voted for for a Democrat, but they just they don't know how to, you know, change from a Mets fan to a Yankees fan that easily. <laughs> and, you know, probably you and I don't pay much attention to to that crowd because it's it's just the other sides. The the polls are more interesting. But and it's I, I still have a hard time talking to Republicans who are, you know, still dragging their feet. But anyway, it's for them. And maybe I'm just wanting to go back to supporting Nancy Pelosi. But it seems like for them <laughs> that she staged all this deliberateness and the the seeking an ironclad argument and also how much it pains her to go through with this. So this is what a good leader will do. And I had this argument with a, with a very smart friend of mine uh, who is also a UVA alum, as is Spamberger. Um, <laughs> oh, she is. Okay. <laughs> here's an element to all this. And, you know, me and a good friend of mine talked about this when it came to, to leadership and everything else like that. Pelosi, by throwing water on impeachment, this is the three-dimensional chess defense, right? By throwing water on impeachment and then eventually being dragged into it by the Mueller report, gave cover to people like Abigail Spamber, right? If you want right. like Pelosi, that's what you say she did. The other thing, and this is no small element of, of her level of success, is that those individuals who were either on the fence about it or didn't know how it was going to impact them, they never have to worry about being that critical vote. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a theory that, that I've talked about a lot in, in classes and sometimes on the air. It works, but it also works for the House. 
in the Senate, nobody wants to be the 57th vote, right? Like, like mm-hmm. if something's going to pass, you want to be, you know, hey, you can be the first. Like, yes, I'm the first person to sign on to this bill, or I'm the second person. You want to be in the 30s. You want to make a point. But if you start yeah. getting the 57, 58, 59, then all mm. the pressure is on you. Then it is seen as your bill, your decision, mm-hmm. your vote. And that is something that terrifies most people. Mm-hmm. And Abigail Spanberger is sort of the epitome of that in the House. It's like, I don't want to be the 218th vote for impeachment. You got to let me hide at like 187. Yep. All right. Now I got to change directions with you. Matt Gates. (laughs) I mean, I know Matt Gates was listed in many people's list of like the most odious characters in the hearings yesterday here, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, on the constitutional law. Um, and everybody has a, a least favorite on the list, but he's the one who took great umbrage in the way we now know Republicans do in that kind of trigger snowflake thing they used to accuse the left of. So first, Matt Gates said he had found a point made by Professor Carlin, um, who was explaining, I think, distribution of uh, conservatives in the country. And she had said they live very in very spread out ways. They're not like clustered right. in cities. Maybe they just don't even want to be near each other, which is mm-hmm. like perfect, like not even especially loose lipped thing to have said on Twitter. It's not right. no shame in that. But I mean, he can honestly get himself to the brink of tears thinking that he's been slighted by her. Republicans have a president in the White House. They were, you know, they, 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 they've they not expressed anything but a sense of persecution even since they took power. I think that they, too, believe they've got an illegitimate president, a president with all kinds of legal and criminal exposure. And I don't know. There's just something so fearful. And then, of course, he's the one that got mad about this barren pun that she made. Yeah. So a couple things about Gates. First off, every time I see, you know, evil mirror universe version of Josh Gad, I, I just can't take him seriously. <laughs> like, I just, I, I can't. Yeah. He just, it's so disingenuous. And in this sort of performative outrage that he does, I can believe Lindsey Graham's performative outrage. Hmm. I can even believe Ted Cruz's performative outrage. And mm-hmm. by believe it, I mean there is a point where they can so completely they can they can commit so much <laughs> to the intellectual and moral gymnastics of their words mm. that they'll believe it for a minute. Lindsey Graham screaming and, and doing the King speech last year about Brett Kavanaugh, mm-hmm. I believe that he believed part of that just because he wanted it so bad. He's like, yeah. I, I really, really want this scalp to bring to the president, so I don't care how many people I have to violate in order to do this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You yep. know, Ted Cruz is a weasley, weasley, unpleasant human being. He is, he's every single Model UN kid that you hated being partnered with in high school. Mm-hmm. And so he, he, <laughs> he can get pleasure off of getting angry and being mad at people. Gads is just an empty vessel. So literally yesterday, when he tries to cry and say, how dare you attack Barron? And of course, we find out that what she said about Barron was like, even though you're president and you named your son Barron, you can't make him one. That is literally all that the the professor said. That is all that she said. And of course, of course, Gates doesn't say that. He just leaves it out there. 
yeah. uh, that, you know, that she made the statement. But again, that is par for the course for the current Republican Party, because what are we literally talking about impeachment? A president who didn't want an investigation. He just wanted it out there that an investigation occurred so he could damage someone. Gates doesn't care about what was actually said. He just wants the public to know that she said something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. And get people into the, I just don't like her. So let's right. not impeach the president. Yes. All right. I'm going to ask you what I asked Harry Littman the other day. I'm absolutely obsessed with this question. Okay. Is there a possibility that Trump will, when faced with data and seemingly irrefutable proof, self-evident that it, that his, if he's faced with the fact that he will lose in 2020, that there's no way, he can't keep cheating, he can't keep gunning it, he can't keep riling up his base, which is shrinking anyway, he's going to mm-hmm. lose, and that will mean he will not be pardoned for federal crimes. Is there any chance he'll resign? Never. Wow. Donald Trump will never resign. Okay. Donald Trump will never give up. Donald Trump will have to be removed, if not in handcuffs. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump will have to be removed from office. I honestly believe Mm. that even if he is blown the heck out, let's say that he is beaten by, you know, Mayor Pete, Klobuchar, uh, Warren, anybody, Cory Mm -hmm. Booker, Joe Biden. Even if he is beat, even if he is blown out of the water by 5 million votes in the popular vote and 227,000 in the Electoral College, he will not leave office. There's Mm -hmm. no amount of data that you can show Mm -hmm. him that'll make him leave office. And I think the only way that you'll ever get Donald Trump to leave office Mm -hmm. will be, ironically, to give him the sort of military parade that he wanted to get and use that as a way to sort of politely escort him out. Hmm. <laughs> it's hmm. like, we're not going to take you out in cuffs, but we'll give you sort of an armed contingent that will walk out with you. Yes. That is the only way that he will leave office. Anyone who believes for yeah. one second that this guy gives a darn about the rules. And, and honestly, I wish, I wish that the only reason that he wouldn't leave office peacefully and respectfully is because he's afraid of prosecution. Mm-hmm. I wish that was the only reason. But it's mm. not that. It's because he really believes that he's entitled to the presidency forever. Mm. He just wants the power. Um, and, and so anyone who believes for one half a drop a second is a criticism that I have of Biden and Warren and a lot of the top candidates who are running as Democrats. What are you going to do the day after the election when Donald Trump says, I don't care? What are you going to do? When he says after the election, when he refuses to call and concede, when he says California is full of illegal immigrants, when he says that Texas, which flipped blue because for some reason at the last minute, Beto decided he was going to run for Senate in terms of, you know, fantasy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but, you know, if all all these things happen, what are you going to do? And if your argument, and this this goes back to our sort of impeachment thing from the beginning, if you are afraid of using all the resources at your disposal, to keep this country running and functioning, then you have allowed him to win already. Fascism and authoritarianism is not always tanks coming down the street. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's just people forgetting what things used to be like. And that's the danger of somebody like Trump. 
I have the U.S. Capitol Police um, website up right now because I was trying to remind myself. Ellie Mistal said he thinks we need muscle. We need to, you know, muscle some of these guys to obey their subpoenas um, mm-hmm. and um, and and get get our police force in action uh, uh, on the Constitution. Um, if he has to be taken out, I see that the Capitol Police are hiring, um, and uh, maybe <laughs> all those of us who want to do service for our country should get together for. Uh, let's we could call it a military parade but we would just we would just do the people's work of hauling him out of office we could wear all kinds of regalia we could put him up on a um you know those sedan chairs yeah <laughs> but it, one way or another we could get him out so i hope you'll join me in um being part of the volunteer capitol police what do you think uh, you know what? I actually think that the number of people who will show up to remove him from office will be larger than the number of people who showed up at his inauguration. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, we were ending on such a high note. My guest has been Jason Johnson. He's the political editor of The Root and a contributor to MSNBC. Thank you so much, Jason, for being here. Thank you. Anytime. That's our show for today. What'd you think? Our Twitter lines are wide open. I'm at page 88 and the show is at Real Trumpcast. And then... Since you're feeling spirited and patriotic, go over to Slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus and support that fourth estate by becoming a Slate Plus member. Today is your day to do this. Plus members get all of Slate's podcasts ad-free for only $35 for the first year. Think of it. That's that's far less than a dollar a day. And best of all, you'll be supporting our work. So go to Slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Merritt Jacob. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Everybody loves me, but the Democrats, they're making my life absolutely horrible. And I'm not leaving. I am staying in the White House until the end of time. They're going to have to take me out of here kicking and screaming and everything else. Not that I'm a kicker and a screamer, but you know what I'm talking about. So I'm not going anywhere. Oh, uh, who are you guys? What's going on? What? A military parade? Ooh, I love military parades. I've been wanting to have one forever. No one, oh, they're finally allowing it? Well, that's fantastic. What is it? Today? It's happening today? Oh, wow. And you want me to review the troops? Oh, I would love to do that. By the way, they're going to be missiles? It's going to be, oh, this is going to be incredible. And and, and what about bazookas? I love bazookas. I love bazookas. Oh, this is going to be a really incredible parade. We're going to have the Navy and the Air Force and the Marines. Oh, will the Space Force be there? They will. And Mike Pence will be leading them. Well, what are we waiting for? We've got to get down to the reviewing stand to see this. Oh, look at all. This is some escort. This is some. This is the kind of service I should have been getting all along. Military police. Look at you guys. You're dressed so nice. That's Oh, you're surrounding me. This is what I've always wanted. Military people surrounding me as I leave the Oval Office and head down to review a military parade. This is my dream. This is my dream. This is my dream. Uh, 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 fake news. Hoax. Shifty ship is totally. Oh, 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 oh. Melania. Melania. I just had the worst nightmare in the history of nightmares. I was impeached. I was removed from office. 
People weren't nice to me. All the world leaders were talking about me. But it was just a nightmare. None of that happened. Everything's great. I'm the greatest president in the history of presidents. Fantastic economy. Everyone likes me. And there's no impeachment. It's never happening. These people are mean and nasty, and I'm just going to ignore it. I am just going to ignore it. And like mom used to say, if you ignore it, it goes away.